0: Expect to learn a new way. Each week, you'll hear trainings, listen in on mini coaching sessions from people on your same path, and learn from other guest professionals. I'm so glad you've joined me. Hey there, welcome back to the Align Nutrition Podcast. This week, I'm bringing you a different episode. This was an interview that I did on the balanced dietitian podcast with a dear colleague of mine Marie Pierre and we were talking about the difference between disordered eating eating disorders chronic dieting kind of the spectrum that exists with eating concerns and i'm sharing it with you if you're ever trying to kind of make sense of your own experience and understand where you're coming from in healing your relationship to food the purpose of this episode isn't to fuel any comparison or wondering if you ever struggled enough, but to really just tease apart some of those differences so that you can really kind of know where you are and make sense of your experience and just some of the different ways that we work to heal our relationship to food given these different circumstances. So I hope it's helpful for you. It's almost like a little bit of a webinar or a little bit of a quick book chapter a little more clinical than I usually speak, but happy to share this information with you. And I hope it's helpful as always. And
1: let's hop right into the episode. Today, we have an amazing guest, someone that I truly admire. I've met her, I think now it's four months ago. So we're part of the same program. And honestly, just click. Like This person is so freaking amazing to her core. And I feel very lucky to be able to call her my friend. Her name is Erica Drury. She is a dietitian who is dedicated to teaching you how to think less about food and to start living more. Erica began her nutrition counseling to help clients at a deeper level through understanding their relationship with food and how it impacts their mind and bodies. She founded her private practice that's called Align Nutrition and an online community dedicated to this mission. What's awesome about Erica is that she is a registered dietitian and she is science-based. So it's not just about that like empowerment speaking of like, love yourself, love your body. No, she goes deeper than that. She talks about the science behind consumption and really understanding your body to a deeper level. She is actually also a certified eating disorder registered dietitian, which is really huge in the dietitian community. You have to do a lot of work, <laughs> you have to have a lot of skills, and it's really a great certification to have, and it really shows her a passion and development into the eating disorder field. So she has been in practice since 2009, and now she's also intuitive eating counselor. So all this to say, Erica is the real deal. She is one, an amazing person, but also so professional, so knowledgeable, and has such a great mission. And I just can't wait to share her with you guys. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. Please don't forget to like, share, and review. So thank you so much for being here, Erica. I'm so happy that you're here. Me too. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So let's start. I love to start with a story, like your origin story. Like I find it so interesting to understand people's journeys and how they got to where they are. So tell us a little bit about you. I would love to. So I went to school
0: to actually study pharmacy and through the process of studying pharmacy, I a family friend of mine was a dietitian. And so through talking with her and learning more about dietetics, because I love the intersection of science Mm -hmm. and, you know, really looking at food that way and our bodies and how it impacts. And so once I switched over to dietetics, what I didn't realize at the time is that I went to nutrition school under the guise to learn how to eat perfectly Mm -hmm. and do everything right. I'm sure you can guess how this went. (laughs) And so fortunately, I was able to, I was getting ready to sit for my dietetics exam and I had so much anxiety. I wasn't sleeping. I just thought I cannot infect people with the same amount of anxiety and shame that I felt about nutrition because the more I learned, I just boxed myself into you have to eat like this and not like that. And really just went round and round. I think probably like so many of our listeners do, all the conflicting messages. Once I kind of reached that point, I found a therapist and a dietitian and really was able to almost go back to school and relearn nutrition in a completely different way, a positive way, an affirming way, a supportive way, a neutral way. And so, yeah, I was I was so grateful to be able then to enter practice in that state of mind. And that is the philosophy that I've brought forth with my clients. I've been having my own
1: practice and now my online community for the last 10 years. Yeah. And that's so awesome. So prior to getting into nutrition, like, was your relationship to food kind of icky? And then you're like, wait, I need to know, like, that perfect way. And like, by being a dietitian, then maybe I'll know the ultimate secret. Like, is it kind of how that went went down? I think it's how it
0: went down because I really just thought it was normal. I thought how I thought about my body, which was dislike and always dissatisfaction. I thought that that was how everyone felt. And so I think I thought that through food and working out that I could change my body to be and do things a certain way and also like kind of be the best at it. So yeah, I, I, it's funny that you asked that in that way, because I think that I didn't know that that's why I was mm-hmm. going to school to study nutrition. But in hindsight, it's very clear that what you
1: just said is exactly what I experienced. Yeah. Well, it's actually funny because the more I talk with different dietitians and whatnot, like the more it becomes apparent that a lot of us got into nutrition to know the ultimate secret of life. Yes. <laughs> then, like then I will know how to do this. And then for some being in like that nutritional makes like either the disordered eating and eating disorder worse. And for some people it's like, no, actually now I know it's science. Like it's not about these magic foods. Yes, exactly. Awesome. So then you were able to heal your own relationship to food. And then that became your passion to help other people do the same. Yeah. It just felt so much more life
0: giving, you know, and looking at the whole picture, because what I had experienced through my own life was that understanding what to eat and how much to eat was such a small part of the picture. And so when I entered practice, I wanted to make sure that I was talking to people about other areas. Like, why are you eating? What is driving your eating? Where are you putting your energy? You know, what matters? And, mm. and that just fit with eating disorders and disordered eating or people who are stuck in the dieting cycle. You know, my philosophy really fit with that because it was less about education and a more about like education plus connection, you know, mixed with humanity.
1: Yeah. And I, I love that because it's not just a nutrition and knowledge because most people can find the knowledge, <laughs> not yeah. everywhere. Like I, like there's a lot of really bad information out there, <laughs> yes. but it's so much more than I knowledge. It's like the intention behind consumption, which is huge. And that not a lot of people dive deeper on, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's that perspective. And it's like, what you were saying about there's so much
0: misinformation out there where it's, you know, medical journalists or people spreading information or having an opinion on food because they also eat, and they're interpreting this information in a way that's not always in line with what you and I know to be true about the overall body of science behind nutrition. And so things get distorted and cherry-picked and Mm -hmm. you know, broken down into oversimplified terms or sensationalized, you know, Mm -hmm. looking for this next thing. What do we take away? What do we add versus what's the whole picture here? What is a field are we seeing in terms of nutrition?
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that so, so much. And I love how you took your own experience to be like, cool. Now I'm going to help everyone. (laughs) I'm going to help all my people like heal their relationship with food and just man, view food as like this great thing, like self-care and joy and everything that it can be and not the shame and the guilt. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. So if you were to describe yourself in three words, what would you say? Well, I've asked my friends some of these. Okay, awesome. How they would describe
0: (laughs) me. So I received caring, loyal, and funny. And I like to bring all of those things into my work with people. Obviously, you know, we're compassionate. I like to, I think in terms of like reducing shame and healing your relationship with food, some of these topics can be so heavy. And so at the right time, a sense of humor can give us a little bit of distance from what we've experienced, or even like we're, you know, talking about now some of this like ridiculousness of. some of these claims that we see in diet plans and blatant misinformation. Yeah. All qualities that I bring into this work as well.
1: Oh, I love that. I would definitely say like caring compassionate. Like when I like first met you, I was like, man, like that girl is just so freaking amazing. Like such a good human being at your core. I'm like, yeah, that definitely comes across <laughs> for sure. Okay, cool. So today we're going to talk about a question that I get often, and I'm pretty sure you do too, about the difference with it, with eating disorder and disordered eating. Like I feel like often it's kind of a blurred line. So let's start with eating disorders. Like how, how do you define an eating disorder? What's an eating disorder? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So eating disorders
0: are clinically defined mental illnesses, and they're defined by diagnostic statistics manual. It's put out by the American Psychological Association. And so that's basically like if you go to the doctor and you have a sinus infection, behind the scenes, the doctor is saying they're giving you a code. And mm-hmm. whatever that code is defines what you came in for. And so with eating disorders, you know, in, in mental health, things are defined in this way. And so there's several different types of eating disorders, whether that's anorexia or nervosa, binge eating disorder, which is one of the newer defined conditions, bulimia, and then there's also other specified feeding and eating disorder, which is basically if someone doesn't meet criteria for one of those specifically, you're going to be kind of dumped into that category. We could get into all of them, but I'll just give you an example. So if somebody say, meets all criteria for bulimia nervosa, but maybe they're only throwing up you know, two times a week or every once a month instead of like three times a week. So it's really nitpicky and Mm -hmm. not anything that like, if I'm working with clients, it's more about, have you met criteria for this? And you know, where are we at with an eating disorder? It's a clinically defined because life functioning has been impacted. And that's one of the ways that we're looking at that a little differently.
1: Yeah. So it's a diagnostic with specific criteria that people need to meet. Like you said, like any other illness, like kind of like diabetes, like if you'd have like a specific target that you look for and being like, okay, yeah, now you have this. So same thing with eating disorders. Exactly. But it's cool that they have that kind of umbrella diagnostic too of like, okay, if you don't meet specifically there, but you're still like purging twice a week, which is still affecting you possibly. Yes. Uh, but it's not three times a week, you still fall into that umbrella there. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And there's, within our field, there's so much where sometimes having to have a diagnosis can be frustrating. Like on one hand, having a diagnosis and receiving one is a privilege because then you're getting treatment, your condition has been identified. But on another hand, it can be a little invalidating, you know, Mm -hmm. if it's, hey, gosh, I'm really struggling. And somebody who maybe doesn't know how to navigate those nuances behind a diagnosis might kind of dismiss that criteria which which denial is something that is a really strong part of feature of having an eating disorder so if your condition is kind of dismissed because you don't meet specific criteria but you meet you know 80% of it you know we might miss the mark sometimes so I think it's important mm-hmm. to just have a team of providers that can holistically help you manage what you're dealing with because it is, you know, it's genetic, it's biological, it's environmental, it's psychological in that trauma based So that's why we have this whole team of people mm-hmm. helping you work through your condition.
1: Yeah. And I love how you say that, that it's multifactual. Cause I think a lot of people will be like, okay, but well, what happened? Like, how did I get it? Or how did my kid get mm-hmm. it? And you're like, it's not just one thing. Like it's so many different, it's like an onion with so many layers of yes. like, how you could have gotten it. And, yeah. And so I find that really interesting that you do say that as well. And I love that part of like, yeah, it's a diagnosis, but it can be undiagnosed too. Yeah. Because unlike, let's say like diabetes, that's like they check blood sugar. You can't really lie about your blood sugars. Whereas when you right. report what's going on, there's a lot of denial with eating disorders and not necessarily wanting to share everything that's going on. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's
0: characterized by, you know, kind of that secretness, but also You know, people that are maybe hiding in, you know, normal bodies, quote unquote, or larger bodies because of that stereotype of having to be a certain size to have an eating disorder, or even just the right questions being asked. If a doctor, for example, hasn't received a lot of training on nutrition or eating disorders, they might not know to ask what's going on with somebody.
1: Yeah. And I love that part of like eating disorders don't have a body type. Exactly. Right. And I think that's a super important thing to to mention because I think a lot would like have this picture of what it looks like where it's definitely wrong. (laughs) Like it does not need to look a certain way. It can look so different on everybody. Yeah. They're all
0: painful. And there's even little subcategories that we could, I think, kind of ties into what we were talking about with eating disorders, not having a size. Like for example there is a subcategory of atypical anorexia. And I'm saying atypical in air quotes because 70% of people that have anorexia are actually considered atypical. And what that means is that they might meet all criteria for anorexia, severe restriction, intense fear of becoming fat and gaining weight, severe obsession about food and reoccurring food thoughts, but they may not meet a body mass index of what's considered anorexia criteria, which is a low body mass index so, so often yeah often these people are kind of excluded or their eating disorder might be dismissed as less severe even though it is very severe mm-hmm. so who can diagnose an eating disorder typically because it's a mental health condition you're going to be seeing a psychologist a psychiatrist maybe a physician especially if somebody's in like a psychiatric facility or a program mm-hmm. of some kind are going to be the one doing that diagnosis. Another person on the team, as a dietitian, I might, if somebody's not working with a therapist yet, I might say, hey, you know, it's not in my scope of practice, which just means that that's not something I'm trained to be able to totally evaluate and diagnose. But I might say, you know, you're meeting some criteria. So I'm really going to recommend that you see a therapist who can really investigate this for your psychiatrist." You know, maybe rule out any other co occurring conditions or, you know, identify any co occurring conditions or just confirm that someone is dealing with an eating disorder. And it's not that people can't receive treatment without a diagnosis, but, Mm -hmm. and some people don't want that on their record, unfortunately, their medical record. But I think it's helpful to have a diagnosis when you do, especially if you're looking at different levels of care, you know, really just having kind of the validation and then. Once that diagnosis is made, it's, you know, making sure that you're having medical tests done or seeing a team of providers and just, yeah, making sure that you're receiving adequate
1: treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love that. So then what would be disordered eating? How would you define disordered eating? Yeah. Well, I think of it
0: as a, like a spectrum. So if we were sitting here side by side and we were looking out in front of us, and on the left side of that spectrum, we put dieting. And on the right side of that spectrum, we put clinically definable eating disorder. Disordered eating would be in the middle there, in the middle of that spectrum. So the way I view disordered eating is that it's, I think, of people that diet, 50 to 75% of people progress into disordered eating. So mm-hmm. it's, it's basically where those cycles have become more chronic maybe the intensity, the rigidity, the anxiety around eating has heightened. And often, yeah, dieting is one of the biggest predictors of developing an eating disorder. The level of consumption about food thoughts, kind of behaviors can escalate into different levels of degree. And then then for some people, it does progress into a full-blown eating disorder.
1: We could argue that even just dieting is one type of disordered eating. Absolutely. When you are restricting and having to micromanage your your intake, a little bit disordered.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's when, you know, kind of what we were saying about receiving a diagnosis earlier, Mm -hmm. that's where I think if you're a disordered eater, you know, something's maybe not right because you're thinking, gosh, this is just really something that I'm pretty obsessed about and I'm pretty anxious about, but you don't understand why and what you're dealing with. I almost think of disordered eating, I like what you're saying about kind of dieting, almost like staging like a cancer diagnosis, you know, where we're looking at, you know, whether dieting is the risk factor or stage zero or stage one, and then, you know, looking at an eating disorder as stage four, and gosh, we really, you know, we wouldn't say, oh, let's just ride it out and see, you know, until somebody needs some more help. We would want to take care of that right away or prevent cancer, you know? And yeah. I think that's where we look at a lot of your and I's work of hey, some of this is awareness and preventative in nature because we'll help you when you're dealing with these issues. But gosh, we really hope that you don't ever have to deal with them in the first
1: place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that what you're what you're saying. So is there any then diagnosis for disordered eating? Not by the American Psychological
0: Association officially except for that, like kind of other specified eating disorder diagnosis, but it's a huge bucket, just kind of whoever doesn't fit criteria. So yeah, I think when it comes to disordered eating, there's not typically where someone might be receiving a diagnosis because according to the American Psychological Association, you know, this diagnostic criteria needs to be met. And so that can be problematic, but I think there's a lot of people that fall through the cracks of that system.
1: Yeah, of course. And what I was going to say with the disordered eating is that oftentimes, like it creates a psychological distress, but often it's not even about, it's about ourselves, like that feeling guilt and shame. And it's not even knowing necessarily that there's a problem or that like, I feel obsessed about food. You're just like, yeah, that's like almost like normal in our society too. So we might just not even see it as a problem. Mm -hmm. And we don't even know that it's like about like the restrictions or everything like that, it's just about like our own self worth that becomes extremely damaged from it absolutely. I think it's that's something that's so unique to dieting.
0: I think of it like, okay, if you go on a diet and it doesn't quote unquote work, you blame yourself. There's no other market that I can think of. You know, that like if you if you had surgery and the surgery didn't work, you wouldn't say, oh, gosh, you know, I must have really messed that one up. You would
1: say, hey, I I need to see my doctor for a follow up and we have the surgery revised. And it's that that surgery, like 95 percent of them don't work, too. (laughs) Like, It's not like you're the only one, like it's 95 percent. But it's such a smart business model, right? Because 95% of people won't succeed and then we'll have to buy over and over and over and over again. Disordered eating, like there's no diagnostic to it. So is it really that bad? Like if you have disordered eating, is it that bad if it's not really a mental health issue?
0: Yeah, I would say it is because you really are kind of what we touched on before, like 25% of you will progress into a mental health issue. But also, it's so painful to just feel. I don't know about you, but a lot of my clients come to me and they're stressed, and they're obsessing, and they feel guilty all the time, and they're aware of the weight of that. Mm-hmm. But when they get better, they're even more aware of the weight of all of that. Yeah, and how much time it took up. I have clients that describe thinking about food a hundred percent of the day. And you know, for most people, I'm going to say, again, normal and air quotes are spending 25 to 35% of their time thinking about food. Because you know, you're thinking about what am I going to eat? You're preparing food. Oh, that was really nice. That was good. Or ah, that wasn't what I really, really wanted. I wonder what I'll have for dinner. Much less of a proportion of that. And if you're thinking about food 100% of the time, 100% of your day, you can't be thinking about other things. And so it really takes away from your life in such a profound way, even if, you know, it's not on your medical record.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So quality of life is extremely diminished. And I like the fact that you like, people are mostly aware <laughs> when you're, you're dealing with it. And even when you're in the cycle of yo-yo dieting all the time, like, you know, how much time you spent thinking, how much money you spent, how much experiences you didn't get to actually participate in because of how you felt about your body. So yeah, yeah, definitely has a huge, huge impact. And it's funny because I, with clients, like we always start with like a pie chart of like, what do you think in a day? And it's insane, like how much time you'll spend thinking about food and body and worrying about it too. And just kind of all that together. Whereas you have a better relationship and you're like, food is food, and then there's the rest of life. (laughs) But it's hard because I think people get stuck in that unknown of like, well, what will it look like? when I'm yeah. spending all my time focusing on this? Will I ever be able to be comfortable in this body if I'm not always trying to pursue thinness? Absolutely. I think that's when you're in it
0: and you're seeking out, it's so hard to know what to look for and what to be working towards. And you just feel a lot of grief too, I think for that time and energy and money and you know life that you lost to that yeah. time.
1: Yeah. And grieving the ideal body that you once thought you should have. You're like, yeah. no, maybe that's not it. Maybe yeah. that's not what life is about.
0: And, and I think the hardest part is that, yeah, we're all sold this, you know? And so yeah. everyone that I work with just feels so ashamed.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. So in your experience, like, is it important to differentiate eating disorder and disordered eating? It depends on the context,
0: So, if I'm working with somebody who, say, you know, at any given time, has met criteria for an eating disorder, and I'm pretty sure they're medically stable, like I don't have significant concerns, maybe this stuff isn't so active, and maybe they were dismissed, you know, I'm saying, oh, just don't worry about it, or oh gosh, why do you keep obsessing, or you know, and and so if people have had their eating disorder or disordered eating or whatever they've been experiencing, kind of dismissed or unrecognized. For some of those people, they do appreciate getting a full evaluation and understanding Mm. the gravity of their experience. I I had a client recently who was actually attending a professional training, and they were talking about eating disorders. And she left the room and started crying because she realized that that's what she had been dealing with throughout her life. Mm. You know, and it was kind of like her doctor was always like, "Oh yeah, you know, I don't know, maybe you know, you just." lost some weight because of this, or you gained a lot of weight because of that. She just didn't really understand how severe her anxiety around eating was. It was just, she was so, I guess, quote unquote, high functioning. So I think in some cases, it is important to really have that diagnosis. The other area that it becomes important, remember how I said that that, you know, in that example, that somebody was medically stable, or I wasn't concerned about that if you have a clinically definable eating disorder, you might be looking at, and a lot of people don't know about this, what's called levels of care. So if someone is, it's almost like there's this kind of step up pattern where if like you went to the doctor for something versus if you went to the ER, you know, you wouldn't go to the doctor if your leg was completely cut open and bleeding, but you also wouldn't go to the ER for a sinus infection. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, with eating disorders, you're looking at how much support does someone need to actually make these changes because changing your relationship with food and the anxiety that you feel around that actually feeding yourself is in crisis. And so some people might need to go to a program where they're there all day and they're seeing a dietitian and they have a very specific meal plan or they're staying overnight or they're going to the hospital or they're having medical monitoring to be able to actually really make that change versus just seeing a dietitian or a therapist once a week or every other week. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's where I think the differentiation between having an eating disorder and disordered eating can come into play. And some of those, like I mentioned some of the criteria of you know medical stability, access to treatment, maybe family support, any co-occurring conditions, or even kind of that motivation to recover and where they're at.
1: Yeah. And like that part of like also validating their experiences. Yeah. Like I feel like that's really important too when you kind of understand like, okay, man, like this is what I've been struggling with and it is real. It's something like, it's a lot, but yeah, that totally makes sense. So the treatment for someone with eating disorder versus disordered eating would be within that like level of care. Mm -hmm. However, someone with disordered eating should still get treatment. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So what would you say if someone suspected like a loved one of having a disordered eating or eating disorder? Like how could this person support their loved ones? I love recommending the National Eating Disorder
0: Association website. They have so many good resources there on kind of approaching those types of conversations Mm -hmm. where they have kind of prompts and scripts and different ways to express your concerns. Because whether you're talking to your friend, or if it's your coach and it's someone on your team, or if you're a mom and you're worried about your daughter, I think those conversations will go differently and call mm-hmm. for different situations. And you know how we were kind of talking about like denial earlier or things like that. So it's just sort of, I think you really need to get some support and maybe an evaluation. A lot of times I might see somebody who is a mom and they're worried about their 16-year-old daughter. And so they come see me for a nutritional evaluation, if there's anything I can recommend, and they might see a therapist for the same reason. So that would definitely be something that you might just want to say, hey, here's some things I noticed. And I'm wondering if you might need some support.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I'm definitely going to link the website to this episode as well to just Get informed, but I think that like just asking, like, hey, how are you? Like, how are things going? And just like that caring piece is really important too.
0: Yeah. Having a therapist, whether it's like if you're working as a family or a spouse, is invaluable because eating disorders really do require so much support and recovery. So mm-hmm. being able to be appropriate about that. And yeah, like I said, the National Eating Disorder Association has some amazing. Amazing resources detailing to how to handle those different types of conversations based on who you
1: are. That's awesome. That's really awesome. This is such a good conversation. Yeah, thank about you. This. I agree. I love talking about all these stuff. I'm like, yes, this is good. <laughs> it is. It's important. Yeah. So now what's next for you? Like tell us more about like what you're up to and what's up for the future.
0: Yeah, I am completely focused right now on growing my online community. And I, like I mentioned before, have been working with clients for 10 years and I love it. And I want to learn how to help people in a new way. You know, I had clients that were driving hours to see me or doing virtual appointments all over. And so I really wanted to provide things just outside of session Mm -hmm. and, you know, help people connect with each other. A lot of my clients will say, Oh, when you told me about that other client that you were working with that was dealing with what I'm dealing with right now, three months ago, and I know they got through it, that really helped me. And so that's what really helped develop that idea of like, gosh, we need to figure out how to do this in community. And so yeah, my Realign community was born. And I just want to keep working on that and showing up for people differently. And learning new ways to help connect them with each other. And that is my number one focus.
1: And that's really awesome. And I think like even going back to the fact that society praises disordered eating, having that kind of community is so essential as you're like healing your relationship because it's hard work. (laughs) But when you're 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 with people- You need to talk to someone else who gets it. Yeah. You're like literally going against the grain. So when you are like having a community like yours, people can connect with one another and support one another, which is so, so nice. Awesome. And people can also find you on your Instagram. Yep. At Allow Nutrition. Awesome. And you have like the best posts. So lots of value. Perfect. And now we're going to do a round of questions because I love these questions at the end. (laughs) (laughs) So what is your favorite food? Pizza, hands down. Pizza. Okay, what
0: topping though? I've actually, aside from anchovies and banana peppers, there's no topping that I do not like. Awesome. So you're for pineapple and pizza? Ooh, gosh, I didn't think, not really. Oh. I'm not, oh, no. <laughs> not that. Okay, so anchovies, <laughs> pineapples,
1: and banana peppers are a no-go and literally anything else I know. <laughs> I like, love pineapple on my pizza like so <laughs> much, and like everybody hates it. I'm like, what's the hate with <laughs> pineapples? <laughs> okay, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Teleporting, hands nice. down. <laughs> that would totally be mine too. Like clicking your fingers and being wherever. Exactly. I mean, Uber Eats helps, but <laughs> <laughs> but then you won't have to pay delivery fees. So <laughs> that's, that's even better. <laughs> What is your favorite way to self care?
0: Reading and walking my dog are the best. Yep. Just transported that. to a time and place, get reconnected with
1: myself. It's awesome. Awesome. Perfect. What's a good book that you've read recently? Ooh, well, I've been reading Anti Diet by Christy <gasps> Harris. Yeah. Isn't it good? It's really good. Not light time bed reading. No. <laughs> Gets you like riled up to be like, wow. Exactly.
0: You want to like change the world.
1: No, I know. I'm reading it too. And like every time I'm like done, I'm like, man, I'm ready to fight now. (laughs) Like, let's do this. (laughs) Injustices. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's good. I like it. Okay. And last one, because it's a balanced dietitian podcast. What does balance mean to you? So balance to me means this blend of nourishment and pleasure.
0: So often, we don't talk about those things coexisting. And I think the thing with balance is that it's dynamic. So like with self-care, you're always having to tune in and get connected so
1: that you can figure out what you need in that moment. I love that so much, the fluidity of balance of like, sometimes you need more, sometimes you need less, and both are totally okay. Absolutely. Is that how you came up with the balanced dietitian? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That balance of pleasure, nourishment, and just like everything behind it. And for me, it was a lot too the balance between nutrition and psychology, Ooh, and having yeah. those two work together. You know, just help us be happy humans. Absolutely, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy you took the time today to talk to me and to the audience.
0: This was really awesome. I hope you found this episode helpful. As an eating disorder dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor, I love talking about the wide spectrum of eating concerns and how they show up uniquely for all of us. And when you're healing your relationship with food, it's important to go back and kind of consider where you've come from and your perspectives, the way things have shaped for you, and hopefully develop some self-compassion. This stuff isn't easy and it's really individualized and personalized. If I can ever be of support to you in this process... I would love to do that. I work with clients privately where we can figure out an individual plan for you and help you map out your experience from A to B so that you can get on to feeling more free around food and topics like this are a thing of the past. So I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. As always, feel free to connect with me on Instagram. Let's talk about it. And I'm here for you. Until next week, take care. Thanks to you for listening find me on Instagram at align nutrition. Let me know if you like this or if you have other topics or ideas for the podcast. I love hearing from you. If you've gotten something out of this, help us reach more people who need this message by subscribing in your podcast app. A nice rating and review also helps us reach more people and is so appreciated. I hope you enjoyed this episode and until next time.